0: This morning marks the beginning of my very first Advent season here at Trinity. Yes! (laughs) And it's also the beginning of our new Advent worship series entitled, A Story Worth Telling. Each week we are retelling the story of Christ's birth in a way that invites us to consider the stories that we are sharing about who we are and whose we are. So this morning we start with a part of the story that many of us would typically bypass. The first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel account, affectionately known as Matthew's Begets. Here, the author lists over 40 names in a genealogy of Christ. We are going to hear the scripture this morning but I will not be attempting any of these names. Instead, we will hear it from the melodic and very talented voice of Andrew Peterson. Pay attention. There may or may not be a quiz later. So here now an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham.
1: Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar, Perez he brought Hezron up and then came Aram, then Amenadab, then who who is then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth, she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse, he had David, who we know as king. David, he had Solomon, by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Isaiah, who had Jophim, then Ahaz, then Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amon, who was Amon, who was father of a good boy named Josiah. Twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Christ.
0: Friends, this is the word of God given to each of us as the children of God, and we say, Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer this morning? God of the ages, in scripture we hear stories of people like us, ordinary people, people who longed to know you, people who longed to follow you, people who made mistakes, people who tried to grow, old, young, native, immigrant, new to the faith, lifelong believer. In scripture, we hear stories of people like us. So just as you walked with them, help us to hear and remember all the ways that you walk with us. We are listening. We are grateful. We are yours. Amen. Though historians are not clear on exactly who authored Matthew's gospel, We can assume that it was someone that was close to Jesus. Maybe it was Matthew, maybe not. But whoever it was, we can imagine them grabbing some papyrus and a quill, some ink, and maybe a beverage. If it was me, it would be coffee. We can imagine them sitting in a creaky wooden chair and scooting up close a wobbly desk. At that desk, they probably thought about how exactly to capture the life of Christ, all the experiences they had with Jesus, all the words he spoke, all the people he healed, all the parables he told. Of all the ways this author could have started this story of Jesus, of all the grand entrances that could have been ascribed to the greatest story ever told, and they chose this. A simple and quite boring list of names. A genealogy that was bound to be skipped over to get to the real story. If I'm being honest, This is not a place in Scripture that I have ever paid much attention to. If I'm looking for Matthew's account of Christ's birth, I usually jump forward to verse 18, which reads, Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place this way. And think, ah, this is where it begins. Or I start at verse 1 with the full intention of reading every single name, struggle my name to, uh, my way to Nashon, then skip forward anyway and give myself a good pat on the back for a decent attempt. Friends, for some reason, I don't believe that this was the intention of the writer of Matthew. This wasn't the intention for these lists of names to be glossed over or considered as inconsequential or unimportant to the story that follows. If we take a closer look at the genealogy of Jesus, we see how much time and thought was put into its arrangement. The writer organized these names into three distinct sections of 18 names, or sorry, 14 names, spanning three periods of time from Abraham to King David, from King David to the Babylonian exile, then from exile to Jesus. It was methodical, purposeful, intentional, and definitely not meant to be completely disregarded. So why was this the way that the story of Christ begins for the Gospel of Matthew? What is so important about these names that the writer dedicates time to arrange them just so. Some have hypothesized that the reason for this particular beginning was a literary device drawing our attention to one particular moment in time, almost like the beginning of a Disney movie or a fairy tale, which we watch a lot of in our household right now, where the narrator says, once upon a time, as the picture zooms into the exact setting where the story will take place. Others have thought that the author might have been attempting to give an account of Jesus' connection to King David as proof or evidence that he fits the criteria described for the Messiah, as told by the prophets of old. While these factors may be at play in the author's choice, I don't believe that they are the only reasons for the inclusion of these names. When I think of, or instead, I think as we as readers can catch a glimpse of the author's true intention by examining the Greek word genesios, which is most commonly translated as the genealogy of. This word genesios can be better translated or more literally translated as Genesis, which has a deeper and richer connotation than geology implies. When I think of geology, I think of the wide lens view of my family tree. Simply the names of my relatives sitting on the appropriate branch with their respective birth dates and their death dates if they have gone on to eternity. It feels very rigid and chronicled, painting their lives into mine with a broad stroke. However, if Genesis were to have been translated using its deeper connotation, It would actually mean something akin to story. More specifically, an account of a person and their continuing story. In this sense, the word Genesis would be like zooming into the story behind each of the names on my family tree. It would be like hearing an account of my grandma writing love letters to my grandpa while he was serving in the Navy. Or listening to my great aunt Tachi share with me the mischievous stories of my father and uncle growing up in our family's liquor store. Yes, you heard that right. From all the stories I've heard, the Gertz side of my family tree was quite spirited. (laughs) So when we read in Matthew's genealogy that Abraham was the father of Isaac, We remember the gut-wrenching obedience of Abraham as he bound his son Isaac to be laid before God as an offering. When we read the name Jacob, we see in our mind's eye the great wrestling match that leaves him with a limp, a new name, and a promise. When we read the name Rahab, we remember a brave and courageous woman who risked everything to conceal two Israelite spies and help them escape from the land that they would soon call home. When we read the name David, we remember his greatness and also his great failures of adultery and murder. Then, when we finally Read Joseph, the husband of Mary. We come to realize that Jesus' birth, the story that we will tell over the next several weeks and have told for generations, is not a standalone story. Rather, it's a continuation of all of these different stories, a multitude of lives woven together in the great story of God's acts in and across history. Because Genesis or Genesis is a story. It's an account of a person, their history and their continuing story. It's about who each person is in their totality. How each person is linked to the next. It's about how their stories continue from generation to generation and impact to the larger, ever-evolving story. This means the story didn't end with Jesus. It couldn't have because the story of God's activity and work in the world is not over yet. What was written in Scripture was simply the next installment of how God was active and continues to be active in history. God, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is still at work today, right now, in fact. So what does this mean for us? What is the invitation for us today as we prepare to hear the Advent story of Christ's birth again, or maybe for the first time? How do each of our stories fit into this ongoing story of God's faithfulness across generations? A long time ago, in a land called Judah, before the Israelites were cast out and scattered throughout Babylon, there was a man by the name of Isaiah who would tell whoever would listen about visions and words given or spoken to him by God. Sometimes they were warnings or emphatic pleas, promises of hope or visions of the coming kingdom of God. Listen to one of his beautiful visions of God's coming kingdom recorded in Isaiah chapter 2. I will begin by reading verse 2. On the screen you'll see verse 1, but just jump right on ahead to verse 2, which says, And that we may walk along divine paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. God shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is a beautiful vision of the future, and it's one that has not yet come to fruition. It is something that we as Christians are still longing for. We are still hoping for a world that is united and a world that is at peace, are we not? But beyond a world filled with peace and harmony and love, you know what I see in this vision from Isaiah? I see a place of a great collaboration as nations stream to meet and gather with other nations at that great meeting mountain of Sion. I see them sharing stories, stories about their own lives stories about the history of their people, stories of how they found themselves to be in this place at such a time as this. They would share stories of faithfulness and faithlessness, stories of courage and doubt, fear and hope, healing and restoration. As stories are shared nation to nation, I wonder if those stories could yield understanding and respect. I wonder if that respect might grow into collaboration and friendship so that there would be no need to lift swords or to learn war, but rather increase an innate desire to learn, from one another. It's a beautiful vision, but it's not just a vision. It's also an invitation. Isaiah says, Oh, house of Jacob, come, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah was inviting those people of Judah to experience a foretaste of hope, a snippet of this beautiful vision for the future right then and there. And I believe that is what God is inviting us to do today, right here and now. Because isn't that what Advent, the season we are embarking on today, it's all about? Advent is the season of hope where we are invited to remember and celebrate what has already occurred in the fullness of Christ, while simultaneously leaning in to the promise of what is yet to come. I believe particularly in this season, God is inviting us to lean into Isaiah's eschatological vision of the future, a vision of collaboration and storytelling by sharing our own stories and listening to the stories of others. Why? Because of the very reason I believe the writer of Matthew started with the genesis of Jesus. Stories matter. The stories of old, the stories of new, and especially the story of you. Your stories belong here. Your stories of triumph and defeat, love and loss, healing and brokenness, courage and fear, and even the stories that you're not ready to share just yet. They all belong here, linked together with the stories of the families sitting across the worship center, shared with the saints, joining us this morning online, woven together with mine. But most importantly, each of our stories belong here, intertwined with Christ. And yet there is still plenty of room for more. There are more perspectives and experiences that need to be shared and heard And incorporated into the ever-evolving story of God's goodness and faithfulness across generations. These stories, these stories yet to be told, matter too. So my friends, as we step deeper into this Advent season, what stories might Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be inviting you to share? What stories might they be empowering you to hear? And when we do so, when we spend time sharing and listening, we participate more fully into this season of hope. We lean into the never-ending story of what was, what is, and what is still yet to come.